This is exactly right. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. This story contains adult content and language. Listener discretion is advised. I've always been interested in old cemeteries, especially from the 1800s. My mother's always talked about the value of being able to visit family from long ago. I really like looking at the old headstones and seeing how close the plots are together. I often wonder if the people there were affluent because their headstones are really large, or why some might not even have a marker at all. Often, loved ones have visited before me to leave flowers or trinkets, even for people who have been gone for hundreds of years. Wayne Witcher, Katie Witcher, Rand Witcher, and Desmond Kendrick all wanted to see the Witcher family cemetery together to talk about the family members who were buried there. That people in the olden days, people didn't have vehicles. And you might have a family over here and five miles in the road be another family. Your wife might die your son might die, and then you might die, and it might be two weeks before somebody come through. Well, then they didn't have nowhere to burn. So my ancestors let them burn. Right. Hey. So is this Junior, Vincent Addison Junior here? No, that's Aunt Laura. That was my daddy's sister. We walk around as Rand Witcher and Katie Witcher begin to recognize the names on some of the gravestones. That's from my dad. Your dad did that? Oh, that's from my this dad. This is your dad? This is your grandpa? Yep. How cool is that? Oh, no. Have you ever seen this? When I was a kid, so. 1971. I do feel pretty sentimental right now. Well, yeah. Yeah, my dad looked just like them, too. Wow. And I look like my dad, so I guess I look like him. And my brother's name is Bennett, after him. He went by Benny. Lots of Bennett's in the family. Oh, yeah. Those tend to be the wild ones, too. (laughs) Wesley Witcher says that he considers cemeteries to be sacred ground in his family. The Witchers buried there should be revered and in some cases, forgiven for what they might have done out of family honor. You know, they would take me to the graveyard, and the past meant something to them. And you would see these old tombstones and and scribbled in, you know, back in the Civil War times. You almost felt like you had a little bit of a legacy. And so for a kid that lost his dad, you, you can imagine how that kind of filled that void, you know? When I visited the Witcher Cemetery, I was a little surprised because the location is really remote. It's far off the main road. I'm accustomed to cemeteries or graveyards with some type of paved walkway. It was so isolated that Rand Witcher couldn't even give us directions. 
he had to drive us there. The cemetery isn't very large, but it sits among huge pine trees and it's very well kept. The witchers make sure of that. There's a short wrought iron fence surrounding parts of it, and most of the gravestones are in good shape considering how old they are. Is Desmond here? Wait. They're everywhere here. They go everywhere. I thought you were joking. All these rocks? Yeah. It, 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 I have used... an the Clement Family Cemetery was much more difficult for me to find. This was the final resting place for Dr. George Clement and his family at Mountain View Plantation in Pinhook, Virginia. And there's one right over here also. No. I can't even, where are y'all seeing? I don't oh, even see. Right here, look. They're over there's here. There's some on the ground, Carol, like the small ones. The current owner of the mansion kindly allowed us to climb around the briar bushes in the back of his property. I was excited to see all of the blackberry shrubs until I realized how sharp their thorns are. Okay, so George and Sarah. Well, who is George? So George is the, the father. This is the father. So the father. How cool. So this yeah. is definitely the homestead. Right. The doctor, wife of Dr. George W. Clement. All right, I have to get a picture of that. Where are those boys? Stand by. Now we got to look because I want to know where the boys are buried. Wayne, where is your understanding of where they are, the boys? Well, now, see, I only did my deep research for the witchers, not the actual Clement family. After spending about 15 minutes walking through vines and tripping over a small rock wall, Wayne Witcher and I found Dr. Clement and his wife's large headstone. There was a small pile of rocks nearby that served as a marker for several of his children. Desmond Kendrick wasn't able to climb back there with us, but he's been here several times already. He is a Clement relative. James and his brothers were Desmond's great-great-uncles, and Desmond has visited this house since he was a kid. The great aunt told me where they were buried, and she said, these were your uncles. And she said, don't you step on those graves. She said, these are your uncles, and she said, that's what you call them. And I always have, because they, they, she made it real to me, and it still is, because they were people. She would say they were real people, they had real needs, they had real feelings, just like we do. They were just in a different time. Desmond says that he's always felt like his family's old cemetery is still special, even if no one takes care of it right now. This homestead, Mountain View Plantation, was where generations of Clements gathered for holidays and funerals and Sunday dinners. They grew up there. That was that house made them what they were. They learned from the land. I mean, and I look at little things. A lot of people don't look at things like I do. I see that. Desmond says that during one visit, one of the owners had handed him glass bottles that Dr. Clement once used to hold leeches for medical treatments, which sounds horrible to me, but physicians in the 1800s used them to treat everything from tonsillitis to hemorrhoids to infections. The Mountain View home represented Dr. Clement's wealth and education. He was a physician and a well-respected member of the rural community. But historian Kelly Brennan says that what was really important to Virginians in the 1800s was not necessarily education or even liquid funds, like savings in a safe, but land. Money and money is money. To Virginians, and this is true for those who live way out, money is land, money is prestige. 
I've noticed for a lot of them, they don't care if they cultivate it, especially now. Like, we think of liquidity, right? Lands and investment, great. We wanna see a certain amount of liquidity. Virginians during this period don't think that way at all. So their attitude is we like the land because we can cultivate it or hold on to it or whatever we're gonna do with it. But land is a value. Being educated isn't. Having to actually do your doctor, you're doing things. All of that stuff is kind of gross to a Virginia planter. The Clements were wealthy, but the money didn't come from land ownership. There have been rumors in the Witcher family over the years that perhaps Vincent Oliver Witcher didn't approve of his granddaughter Victoria marrying James Clement. Desmond Kendrick grew up in Mountain Valley, Virginia, not far from Penhook, less than 30 miles away. He has an incredible amount of family mementos, mostly pictures. And Desmond is very interested in the Clement family history, partly because of circumstances but mostly because of one special woman. To me, it goes back from the time I was a baby where I had the spinal meningitis, and Maud Clement, who was an aunt to my dad, found out about it. Well, she was a historian in her own right. She basically, by mail correspondence, wrote the history of Pennsylvania County. The first comprehensive history was ever written. She printed it, had it printed in 1929. But my dad took me to the nursing home where she was, I think, in Alta Vista. He said that she, he laid me on the bed beside her when you taken, I'm still six, seven months old. And she talked to me just like I was seven or eight years old and understood everything she was telling me. She said, you have to overcome your infirmity because I'm not going to live much longer and you're going to have to do the history. So Desmond has been doing that history for decades ever since he could first hold an old tintype photo of his great-great-aunt Victoria and his great-great-uncle James. Desmond loves history so much that he became a state archivist, so it's his job to know about the families in Southern Virginia. Desmond is tasked with presenting information on behalf of the state as accurately as possible. But along the way, he's also discovered quite a lot of mythology about both families, not just the Clements. For example, Desmond has heard locals say that Victoria and James's mother didn't get along at all. But that's not possible because James's mother died of measles when he was just a baby. And that was almost 30 years before the feud between the Witchers and the Clements even began. Desmond says that this story has become part of local folklore, and much of it focuses on the Witchers, not the Clements, probably because of Victoria Smith's relationship with her mother's family. Well, things that you read a lot of times come from the Witcher point of view, and I'm not judging that either. But from their point of view, of course, her mother was a Witcher. Her father was also a medical doctor. Now, to my knowledge, Dr. Smith and Dr. Clement had a big respect for each other. Dr. Smith was in a generation below Dr. Clement of such because a lot of his children were younger, a lot younger than the Clement children. It seems like Victoria's parents, the Smiths, got along with James's parents. Both patriarchs were physicians from a similar socioeconomic background. But Victoria's grandfather was a different story. Dr. Clements's social status could never compete with that of Captain Vincent Oliver Witcher. And that might have bothered the doctor. Vincent Oliver frequently hosted some very powerful politicians from Richmond and Washington because of his status with the legislature. That would make any in-law a little envious. And then there's the Witcher temper to watch out for. Vincent Oliver hated being slighted, and Desmond says that he believes that the former soldier was always armed. 
The family rumor was that the witchers all had guns, but they liked to hide daggers in their jackets. But I'm guessing everyone was armed in rural Virginia in the 1800s. Historian Bill Garant says that the witchers were cutthroat if they needed to be. I don't think the Clements were as hot-tempered and violent as the witchers. But by modern standards, they would probably be considered hot-tempered and violent people, if you see what I mean. Yeah. They, and is it because they had money and they had power, and that's what it came down to? I think the witchers were powerful, although the Clements were not insubstantial people. No. They were well-to-do people. I think the witchers in this instance may have had more influence and more of an intimidation factor. So Dr. Clement, that house was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, went, I just went inside it. He obviously was well-off. I don't understand where this story comes from, where the witchers thought that James was not good enough for Victoria. The, the families were not in sync in, a, in social circles. That seems a little odd to me. Maybe that's not true. It seems odd to me, too. Uh, the Clements, were, I don't think, were the brawlers like the witchers were. If you ask Dr. Clement privately and confidentially, he might say the same thing, that Victoria is really not at the same social level that we are. You know what I mean? I, I think that the idea that the Clement family was uh, socially beneath, uh, it's just not true. So they seemed to enjoy socializing with one another. They even joined some of the same organizations. James Clement and his brother Ralph were both members of the fraternal society, the Freemasons, and so was Vincent Oliver Witcher. In fact, Lodge Number 87 was named after him seven years before the feud began. The Freemason Society is the largest worldwide organization and perhaps the most enigmatic. At one time, the oath-bound organization accepted only men. The rituals and customs and activities are often concealed, making it a mysterious group to many Americans. There have been many, many famous Freemasons, including Presidents George Washington, Franklin Roosevelt, and Gerald Ford, along with Benjamin Franklin and Davy Crockett. It's a pretty illustrious group. The Witchers and the Clements were certainly proud of their membership with the Freemasons. Beyond that bond, the lives of the family members were braided by the time the marriage between Victoria and James began to worsen. Bill Grant says that Victoria and James might have been related generations back because of the Witchers, the Clements, and Victoria's father's family, the Smiths. I think these witchers and Clements who fought each other might have been like second cousins or something. Those families had intermarried at least. And I may be confusing that because the father Clement, George Washington Clement's first wife was a Smith and it might have some relation to them. Bill Grant says that this was expected in small communities across America in the 1800s because there weren't many choices for fast and convenient transportations. So their options were pretty limited. But in any event, it's small community, and it made even smaller by the fact that you would have to marry within your social stratus. So you had a, a much smaller population to start with and a much more narrow range of potential spouses and mates than you would have now because, you know, you, you couldn't marry the dirt farmers down the road. You had to marry the other people who also own land and so forth. And Desmond Kidrick says that there was jealousy between the two families. There had to be. It could have been controversial on land because, like I say, they both lived, Vincent Witcher lived there close to Mountain View somewhere. At one point, they lived within a mile of each other as the crow flies. But I just kind of feel like in the time that those six boys were growing up, that there might have been some conflict. Now, I might be 120% wrong, but I can just see conflict there and, you know, just jealousy maybe because 
my dad was a doctor or my dad was in the House of Delegates, you know, one family might have been to their thinking a little better than the other one, or maybe we a little better than you. The local folklore has claimed that Victoria's flirtations and James's abuse had sparked this deadly feud. But Desmond doesn't think that's true. The conflict must have been deeper. And Vicki Borden agrees. How could it be over one woman or one child and end up this way? How could it be? It had to be more than that. It had to be something that was cooking for a while. There were likely tensions between the close families for decades, but it was a poisonous marriage that caused the already tenuous relationship between the Witchers and the Clements to fracture. One evening that fall, three young men arrived at the small house at the bottom of the hill of the Mountain View Plantation. James and Victoria both heard a knock. The sun had already gone down, and the trio needed a place to sleep until morning. Traipsing through the countryside at night wasn't always safe in the 1800s, even if you were carrying weapons. They could all be ambushed by an animal or a person. They needed to spend the night somewhere safe, and James and Victoria's house was nearby. James eyed each of them. Two of them were Victoria's relatives, a pair of witcher men. But James focused on the third man in particular, a young local named William Gilbert, whom everyone called Buck. Apparently, um, Victoria was talking to a gentleman by the name of William Gilbert, and that's where this whole thing started. Victoria was now five months pregnant with their daughter, and she seemed pleased to invite them inside. They had all known each other for years. James glared as he watched his wife chat with Buck and then point toward their second floor where the men could sleep for the night. Victoria and Buck had been friends before she and James were married, and after she became a wife, Buck would visit both of them at the Clement house to play cards with Victoria. For months, James had watched Victoria quietly fawn over Buck. At least that's what he thought. It seemed clear that they were becoming closer. Bill Grant knows this story well because he is one of Buck Gilbert's descendants. So this guy, Buck Gilbert, uh, who had been a boyfriend of Victoria Smith's, I, I would imagine in modern terms we would think they dated or something. Of course, it wasn't like that back then. But nothing ever came of it, really. And then she ends up marrying James Clement. But he was a very jealous guy, and he continued to think that Victoria had a thing for Buck Gilbert. James quietly agreed to allow the men to stay in the guest rooms above while he and Victoria would sleep in their bedroom on the first floor. James hooked the locks on the doors of the house, and soon the oil lanterns were extinguished for the night. James Clement was enraged as he roused his wife up early the next morning. As Victoria began to prepare breakfast for their guests, James cursed her. He believed that a lock on one of the home's outer doors had been flipped and the door was partially open. As Buck and the other two witchers descended the stairs into the kitchen, James turned on them. The door was open, he yelled, because Victoria and Buck had sneaked off in the middle of the night to continue their affair. Victoria was exasperated. She yelled back that the door hooks were old and rusty and a healthy gust of wind could send the doors flying open. Victoria had grown accustomed to her husband's histrionics, but James seemed to be growing even more unstable. 
I think James didn't exactly know. James had a suspicion that his wife was being unfaithful to him. I think so. And I think he believed it was Buck, but it might not have been. Both Buck and Victoria were either very confused or excellent actors. Most people who knew them say they flirted and perhaps at one time they had a relationship, but both denied that there was a secret meeting that night. James wasn't sure what was true, but he was certain that Victoria was in love with another man. Whether or not James was right about any infidelity, it wasn't the point. His angry rants were twisting into terrible threats, and Victoria was growing colder toward him. She was no longer in love, and he knew it. Soon after, Buck Gilbert and his two friends collected their things and left Victoria's house. James locked the door behind them. And he continued to lock the doors of the house at all times, even during the daytime, which was really unusual in the 1800s. James was becoming subtly threatening towards Victoria. Each night, Victoria sat on the bed as James examined his collection of weapons. He watched through the window in the candlelight, a troubled man desperately trying to keep control of his wife. James would place his bowie knife and his pistol on the nightstand next to the bed. He would order Victoria into bed first, Once she was under the covers, James would drag over numerous chairs and surround the bed with them. He would place several more in the passageways so a person would make a loud noise if they tried to enter the bedroom or tried to leave it. James may have felt the traps that he was laying were meant to protect his family, but instead, they turned Victoria into his prisoner. Dimple Mahaltra is a county judge in Austin, Texas, who works with the Domestic Violence Court. After 20 years of experience with those types of cases, she's learned that often abusers use many different types of ways to control their families. If you're talking about intimate partner violence, I have never seen that it has just come out of nowhere. I managed the Felony Family Violence Unit for almost three years, and I can't think of really any situation that I encountered where this was out of the blue or unexpected. There are many relationships where maybe there has not been physical violence, but that you also see coercive control in that relationship. For people who don't know what that means, it's basically a more subtle type of abusive behavior that's equally harmful. James's threats were now becoming unbearable for Victoria, all while she was pregnant with Lelia Maud. He had not physically abused Victoria yet, at least not that we know of. But even today, young women often don't tell their families about abuse. It's possible that that was the case here, too. But I doubt it. Perhaps the witchers had prayed that James would soften when Lelia Maud was born. In season one of Tenfold, The Scuts had felt the same way as Edward Ruloff became more threatening to his pregnant wife, Harriet. And we know how that turned out. Edward killed Harriet and his infant daughter, Priscilla. In this story, could fatherhood really help James Clement control his jealousy and his insecurity? We'll find out soon.
Victoria's innocent flirting with Buck Gilbert or other young single men might have been harmless. Even her family admitted that she liked to dance with male friends. But Victoria was threatening James's pride. Historian Kelly Brennan says that James feared Victoria's lack of attention to their marriage would lead to his public humiliation. The issue isn't that she did something. It's that it reflects poorly on him. This comes back to him. Everything's about him. He may be angry with her about the actual deed, but really it's, you violated this person that I have complete dominion over, which means you violated me, and then you violated my honor. James might have thought of Victoria as property, but her family believed that he had no right to terrorize her. By the winter of 1859, the couple had been married for about seven months, and James's erratic behavior seemed to get worse. He would jump out of bed at the slightest noise, run to the window, and throw back the curtains before peering outside. If there were a wind at the door, James would creep around the house, clutching one of his weapons. Victoria was terrified that he might shoot someone, even her, especially her. When his in-laws were visiting, James would appear kind and affectionate, a doting husband who was caring for his pregnant wife. When they were alone, Victoria said James became a monster, insulting her constantly, cursing her supposed affair with Buck Gilbert. James would tie a string from the door of the master bedroom to the bedpost so it would trip Victoria if she were to sneak out, or Buck if he tried to sneak in. James's paranoia wasn't healthy for Victoria, whose slim build was already strained as Lilia Maud grew bigger by the day. Months earlier, James had warned Victoria about dancing with other men. Now he forbade her from even talking to men, especially Buck Gilbert. If she were to ignore his rule, she could go ahead and return to her father's home immediately. For his part, Buck Gilbert tried to stay as far away from James Clement as possible. Even going to church failed to provide Victoria with any protection. One day, James and Victoria and her parents walked into their church, which was unusually crowded. The pews reserved for ladies were all full, so Victoria and her mother and several other women sat down on the seats near a group of men in the congregation. These were gentlemen that Victoria and James had known for months. They were family friends. After the service, James took Victoria aside and screamed at her for ignoring their marriage vows. Sitting closely to men was vulgar and indecent. He insisted that this was proof of her adultery. James blamed her for not caring about him or their unborn child. Katie Witcher says that she's not at all surprised by James's accusations. He seemed very insecure. There's two different views to have. It's one that she's promiscuous, so much so that she doesn't care about her own child, which is far less likely (laughs) to be true of someone. But society, and especially in older times, it's so much easier to put that on the woman than to go against a man's honor because it's like, oh, our son would never do that. And you see that a lot when my clients, if they may have like an abusive husband, the mother-in-law is almost just as bad because that cognitive dissonance, you cannot deal with the truth that who you think this person is, is completely opposite and they are capable. Every human is capable of terrible things. 
The Smiths and the Witchers worried about Victoria and her growing baby so much that they considered recommending she divorce James. But historian Bill Garant says that divorce in the 1800s wasn't easy, particularly for women. To get the divorce, you had to go to, it had to go to the uh, General Assembly. That was true in England. That was true under the law. I don't know when all those things changed, but it basically meant you had to have a lot of money to get a divorce because you had to be able to afford all this stuff. Lawyers, you know, so forth. This wasn't a simple decision for Victoria because if she divorced James, she would become a single mother, something that was shameful in the 19th century, even in cases of domestic violence. Social mores would have demanded that she stay married, even if she were miserable. And she was miserable. James and Victoria had been married for less than a year, but James's violent reactions would likely intensify. The Witchers knew that. Katie Witcher says that as a therapist, she's counseled quite a few women about how to leave their abusive husbands so she can empathize with Victoria. I currently am a therapist for victims of domestic violence. So I'm working with women that are divorcing their husbands for being cruel. And so you're seeing that. I can't imagine not having the ability to do so. So in a way, I'm also looking at that from that lens and thinking the witchers were almost ahead of their time when it came to divorce and the legal side of that. And just the expectations of a wife in marriage has changed quite a bit. And that's true. In the 1800s, wives were expected to defer to their husbands on virtually every issue affecting the family. Historian Amanda Foreman wrote a piece on the history of divorce in America And it really speaks to me about how divorce both benefits and punishes women. Amanda writes in the Smithsonian, Multiple studies have shown that women bear the brunt of the social and economic burdens that come with divorce. The quickest route to poverty is to become a single mother. This is awful enough, but what I find so galling is that the right to divorce was meant to be a cornerstone of liberty for women. For centuries, divorce in the West was a male tool of control a legislative chastity belt designed to ensure that a woman had one master while a husband could enjoy many mistresses. It is as though, having denied women their cake for so long, the makers have no wish to see them enjoy it. There is no point trying to pin down where things went wrong for women because when it comes to divorce, it's not clear that things were ever right. I think that's really powerful, and Katie Witcher agrees She says that even today, there's a stigma for women who are divorced. She understands that on a personal note. The acrimony between James and Victoria must have been very embarrassing, even humiliating for both families, especially because their marriage was so brief. But Katie says that she's proud of her family because they valued Victoria and Lelia Maud's life, even though it might lead to social disgrace. I've also been divorced, and the way that my family supported me through it, it really makes you think, like, does that go all the way back to those generations? Did they pave the way? So it's a little bit of a highlight, although it ended in a lot of blood and a lot of pain. There is kind of that positive light to it that I see. James Clement was in a constant state of agitation, a man obsessed with controlling every aspect of his wife's life. He was in the right, he decided. He didn't seem concerned about interference from his wife's family. Dr. Smith didn't seem dangerous or vengeful, but the Witchers were. Rand Witcher says that his family's prestige, their power, and their military history 
all pointed toward problems for James Clement. It very few families back then were as powerful as the witches were. That I mean, they didn't take no junk from nobody. James was right to fear the Witcher family, because in addition to their political standing, the men in the family had a long history of military experience. They knew how to fight. Wayne Witcher has spent years researching the family, tracing their story back by more than 400 years. He was especially interested in their history with the military. And boy, did they have strong ties to this country's biggest wars. Wayne says he discovered that three witchers arrived in America in the 1600s, John, James, and Earl. One returned to England eventually. John was known as the original patriarch of the Witcher family in the United States. In 1768, William Witcher Sr. served in the Virginia Colonial Militia and was eventually appointed a major. And this is a reminder that some Clements served with him in the militia. In 1776, Major Witcher commanded a force of 200 men to guard Fort Patrick Henry against attacks from Native Americans in Tennessee. I've seen records where they were involved not only in the revolution, but also in conflicts that happened before the revolution in that region of Virginia. They definitely were actors in the revolution, and then they were actors in the War of 1812. They were soldiers, and they were people involved in the military at higher levels as far as you know, ranking officers and things like that. Major William Witcher's grandson, Vincent Oliver Witcher, was a captain in the War of 1812 when America again went to battle against Great Britain, this time over trade restrictions and U.S. expansion. Wayne Witcher says that both Major William Witcher and Captain Vincent Oliver Witcher were considered war heroes in Virginia. They certainly killed men during battles, and they were prepared to kill anyone to protect their families and their land. Such was the life for many people in 19th century rural America. These people fought during the War of 1812. These people fought during the Revolutionary War. These people fought Native American skirmishes. They fought one another to keep their households safe. You didn't call 911 and get law enforcement down there to help you. You had to pull your own guns out, put your own posse together, and defend your own neighborhood. It's frontier justice is what you're talking about. Frontier justice. And we look back at it and we think that they're barbarians. They looked at it as just protecting their families. And right. so I don't think with our perspective today, we can understand the way that they were thinking then. And right and wrong is viewed differently because these are different times. By the time the marriage between James Clement and Victoria Smith was dissolving in 1859, the Civil War was less than a year away. Another witcher would join the army and go on to become the most notorious witcher of them all. Definitely in the Civil War, that's where they made a name for themselves, generally for the South. The vast majority of witchers were Confederates. There were some who fought for the Union side, but many of those witchers were Confederate soldiers. Just 18 months later, Captain Vincent Oliver Witcher's grandson, Vincent Addison, would become an infantryman and earn a reputation as a vicious soldier who was ruthless on the battlefield. He left the military as a colonel who boasted of killing many, many Yankees. So Captain Vincent Oliver Witcher had been a leader on the war front in his youth, and his grandson, Vincent Addison, would become a legendary soldier too. 
Vincent Addison looked up to his grandfather because Vincent Oliver had quite a formidable reputation. Captain Witcher, my impression, very violent, hot-tempered man, as all of his sons were. And so were the Clements. The clearer the differences between these families becomes, the more difficult the situation seems. Victoria and James seemed like a terrible match. How could they possibly end up married if they were so different? Their great-great-granddaughter, Vicki Borden, wonders about the rumors of Victoria's flirting and James's temper. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't know. I think people said what they had to say. Maybe Victoria did dance with other people. You know, she they described her as frivolous and fun-loving. And why did she marry him to begin with? Who knows? People rewrite history all the time. Somewhere there's some truth in that. After this conversation, I sent Vicki a copy of something that Victoria filed on August 30th, 1859, called a Bill of Complaint for Divorce, which she had submitted to a circuit court judge in Franklin County to formally file for divorce. In that document, Victoria described her relationship with James Clement. It's very detailed and very disturbing. And some of the things that Victoria says that James did were really shocking to Vicki. And then James responded to Victoria's accusations with his own accusations, and those were also dreadful. Vicki and I were confused about who was telling the truth. More on that soon. When the Witchers found out about all of it, they became enraged. And so did the Clements. As the tensions between the Clements and the Witchers deepened, both families hoped for the best, but readied their weapons. These are two powerful families, two big families, and here we go. You know, this is not going to be taken lightly. Wayne Witcher says it didn't take much for the vitriol between the two families to become unbearable. A calamity was coming. I think they were hotheads, and I think they were willing to engage in a feud at the drop of the hat. And I guess that the thing that happened here which caused the problem was that somebody's honor had been impugned. And that apparently was very important to Vincent Oliver Witcher and to Vincent Addison Witcher. When Victoria and her honor was impugned, when they made the accusations against her concerning William Gilbert, then it apparently was something that they took personal. And so they took it to a new level, which is really ramping up that situation. One night, Victoria glared at James, smirked, and said something unthinkable. She wondered if the baby would look like someone they both knew, someone who was threatening to James and his honor. And I'm certain that his response wasn't at all what Victoria Clement expected. It was so much worse. on the next episode of Tenfold More Wicked on Exactly Right. I cannot get over what you told me. To inflict pain on an innocent child just to make your point to the person that you're having a problem with. To me, that's cruelty at another level. I have lived this and I have never heard any of this. I never heard anyone say one unkind word about James Clement. I never heard anything about abuse of anyone or anybody. You do see remorse, but sometimes that remorse is authentic and genuine, and it is a call for help, and they want to change their behavior, and sometimes that remorse is manipulation. 
maybe Vincent Witcher and maybe Vincent Addison Witcher, maybe they knew about this guy and they knew how he was. Maybe they saw him treat Victoria this way publicly and in private. Maybe they already had some issue with this guy knowing that he was abusing and mistreating Victoria. My new book, All That Is Wicked, is available for pre-order now, including the audiobook. All That Is Wicked is based on our first season of Tenfold More Wicked. You might think you know the whole story of killer Edward Ruloff's crimes, but there's so much more. My book, American Sherlock, is also available. This has been an exactly right Tenfold More Media production. Producers Jason Whaling, Alexis Amorosi, and Laura Sobel. Sound designer Eric Friend. Composer Curtis Heath. Artwork Nick Toga. Executive producers are Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, and Danielle Kramer. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tenfold More Wicked and on Twitter at Tenfold More. And if you know of a historical true crime that could use some attention, email us at info at tenfoldmoremedia.com. Subscribe now on Amazon Music, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen.